from the Wayne Sumner Studio. My recommendation is in honor of the British Bodie McBoatface. It's uh, Sonny McCarface. Broadcasting live in Boone, North Carolina on 90.5 WASU-FM. You're driving and you think you start getting hungry and you're like, oh, I have a Dunkin' Donuts app on my car. Why not I just buy 12 donuts? Around the world on iHeartRadio and WASURadio.com. It's astonishing what you've done. You managed to have a three-car pileup on a road with a speed limit of 25 miles per hour. Right in front of the police station, too. So, uh, congratulations. This is Loopy Radio. This is Loopy Radio. This is Loopy Radio. I'm Loopy. Getting to the end. It's November 20th, 2019. What, uh, is this the final Wednesday of class? I think. Maybe. Maybe I'll make it the final Wednesday of class. For me, at least. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's coming to an end real fast. Uh, slightly terrifying for a lot of people. Um, slightly more than slightly terrifying for others. And then there's the reality for quite a few people that graduation is in like 20 days. So that's kind of cool, I guess. As always, though, starting to think about graduation because I'll graduate in May. And, and the thing that I just can't help but feel for some people is that uh, this isn't worth it. That you go, you go through college and you spend the money. Granted, here it's a lot less than most places. But you spend the four or five years, whatever. And then you still don't know what you're going to do when you get out. You know, most of these degrees, if not all of them, they push you so, so hard, especially right at the end. There is no time to find a job to be ready for you right when you uh, right when you graduate it's not possible it's physically not possible and the most people these days have um student loans and you have to start paying those off within 6 months so not only do you have to find a job within that time but you got to get to a point where you can pay student loans as well as pay for life I don't know. The closer I get to graduation, the more time I spend at a university, the more and more uh, I become skeptical. But one thing, though, that I do respect, because most most of these professors here um, have you know levels of higher educa- uh, education, but beyond just a four year degree, uh, whether that's a master's or even a doctorate or multiple masters or doctorates. And I have I have a professor who's uh, teaching the capstone for my for my degree, and he was kind of playing with the with the students, and he was like, "All right, if you want to succeed in the uh, broadcasting business, do you need higher education?" And he, some people were expecting to be like, "Yeah, you know, we need a doctorate and all that." And he looked at everyone and he said, "No, no, you don't. Don't do it." And part of me, really, honestly, especially for what I'm doing, uh, for for being in talk radio, do you even need a four-year degree? Do you need a degree at all? 
If all goes to plan, I'm going to make a living by being entertaining and weird and uh, having a nicer voice for radio. Not even my fault. I didn't even intend to do that. It just happened. And, and the other day, I'm on a bit of a rant here. The other day I was I was interviewed by another student for a paper. Uh, and it was about like uh, things that the my department does to help students get ready for their career. And I said in in most people's cases, you know, they're doing production or they're doing sales or marketing, the school's helping them out. But for someone who's doing talk radio, nothing almost nothing has helped further my career. Almost nothing that has been covered in a class has is, is going to benefit me in any single way in my career of talk radio. Which makes sense, because who the heck does talk radio? I was just talking to a, a, a market manager, a general manager, and a program director of some radio stations, seeing if I can do some part-time work. And they were like, we're just shocked that a 22-year-old is even interested in in jumping into talk radio at the age of 22. I'm like, yeah. You know, you're making me uh, second-guess myself, but yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm interested for sure. Maybe a little too interested. Maybe to the point where this show specifically won't exist a month from now. But I'm ready to go. I wish I was graduating in 20 days. I'm loopy. I'm loopy. So on the show uh, this evening... There's actually some local news for me to talk about, which is fabulous. It's been a while. Uh, both both things from the school and from um, beyond the school. Who would have thought? In the town of Boone, something beyond the school. I know, it's uh, it's hard to comprehend sometimes. Uh, but uh, in, in regards to the school, they're finally going to start doing something with that old high school location that they bought for millions of dollars. And uh, AMB... Appalachian Mountain Brewery um, was sold once. It's now been kind of sold again. So uh, bye-bye again. They're saying nothing's going to change. We'll see about that. Also, it is flu season. They're saying that this is going to be one of the worst flu seasons in a long time. Uh, I'm looking at it at a different angle. Just how much does a flu shot cost everybody? Uh, Because it's free. With insurance, right? Free. So no money's being spent anywhere, right? Right. And then uh, on top of that, some more food news because I know that really is the most important thing. So so I'm going to talk about that. But uh, if, if you've been in Boone for a while, you'll remember uh, Watauga High School. Uh, the, the new Watauga High School is actually very nice. Uh, I've only heard good things about that campus. But... There's also an old Watauga High School, uh, and that location was purchased by App State uh, just a few years ago for 15.5 million bucks. Uh, yeah, some serious cash being spent. 
It's in a, it, It's not in the greatest location for the university. That's the tricky part about it because it's close to campus, but it's not on campus. So it's not like you can put dorms there realistically or have classes there realistically. So it's kind of tough. But they finally they finally decided uh, what to do with this property, and it makes a lot of sense. To kind of sidetrack here, and we'll get back to the to what I'm talking about. Up on the football stadium, obviously if you've been to a game recently or if you live on the west side of campus, you know there's some construction going on there. And by some, I mean it's only construction going on there. And uh, especially on that end zone project is what I'm thinking about for the football stadium. Now, that end zone project is going to be incredible. It's going to be super cool. Uh, It's going to have like a thousand club seats. It's going to have a nice club room area. You know, so I'll never have enough money to actually sit in these seats, but it'll exist. So we're talking like a food area, uh, a place to host events, as well as just offices for football, uh, new clubhouses for I think both home and away will be in there. Uh, and there's also going to be a shop, so yay, uh, you know, spend some more money, uh, try to buy another football jersey, I already have a white one, I'll get a black one and then a yellow one, so that project's going on, but if you, if you're at the stadium and you look at where that project's going to be, you're like, you know, it's kind of covering the track that goes around the football field, you can't really host a a track event on that, given that, um, you know, I've never really seen a track of that shape before. So, uh, yeah, so there is no track. App State right now doesn't have a track. Every single track and field um, event, track day, that our team is going to this year is away. We're not hosting a single track meet. Because we can't. So that's where the old high school comes in. They finally made a decision. This is uh, from the Appalachian. So a student wrote this. Yay. Plans are in motion to scrap Ike Belk Track in Kid Brewer Stadium in lieu of uh, App State's purchase of the old Watauga High School lot. App State acquired the 74-acre property on the site of the former Watauga High School located on 400 High School Drive. If that doesn't uh, give you enough information, uh, basically it's near Goodwill. Landmarks. Uh, it was a $15.5 million purchase, and uh, this was all approved by the UNC Board of Governors in March. And uh, it, it gives us room for expansion, but kind of off campus, a little out of the way. So it's really tough to decide what to do. But they have decided it will be for, at this point, this isn't all the space, but a good portion of it, for the softball uh, competition tennis facilities, so for when they actually compete, uh, and for the track and field people. Because it's already there. It's not like uh, Sunbelt NCAA quality facility out there, but it's there. Because we're talking high school had a football team. They have a track and field team. There is a softball stadium over there. So they're just able to take what's already there and Renovate it. A whole lot cheaper than blowing up a side of a mountain to flatten it out for a track. Although a track around the top of a mountain would be pretty sweet. 
with like the mountain sticking out the middle of it. Or even a tunnel. How cool would that be? One of the stretches of the track goes through a tunnel. Be sick. But anyway, this is definitely the most wise uh, move for this location. Because it's not on campus. It's close, but it's just not. Especially when there's traffic. Like when there are students up here. You know, like when we would need to use it. It would take like 10 minutes to get there. Minimum. So putting a few sports teams out there uh, is a good idea. It's, uh, it's a cheaper alternative. It doesn't use all the space. And there's already a parking lot out there. So there's still, I mean, this only uses like half the space. So we still got to figure out uh, what else to do with this thing. A little more on that idea. I'm Loopy. I'm Loopy. Now, when, when App State first purchased this property off of 105... Uh, the old high school property, just across from the Freemasonry and the um, and the Goodwill, uh, if you didn't know, and on High School Drive, High School Road, whatever it is, if that didn't give it away. They bought this property, the old property. Um, I was and not as much anymore, but at first I was a bit skeptical. I thought that was a lot of money. But now they're they're putting something on it that can stay there forever. Um, our softball team is going to have their uh, a new stadium there. Tennis is going to have a new complex there. Uh, track is going to have their own track out there. I'm sure they're going to love that, and I'm sure football is going to love that too. Because back in my day, I played soccer, and there are few things I hate more than playing soccer on a football field. So I'm sure uh, track feels the same way. They're like, yes, it is a track, you know, like a whole complex for track as opposed to football and track. You know, it's, it's, it's your own thing. So I think this is good for them. Even though they won't be in a stadium anymore, which will be kind of sad, um, this area is kind of nice. It's near a big hill. It, uh, I'm sure in the fall it'll look gorgeous out there. Kind of like how our baseball stadium just made national headlines, um, not headlines, but got some national exposure the other day uh, when somebody took some aerial shots of the stadium in the with all the fall colors. It was beautiful. But this is from the Appalachian, our uh, student newspaper. That $15.5 million purchase of that field is going towards softball, uh, competition tennis facilities, and the track. The university itself requested Boone Town Council and the Boone Planning Commission to rezone another part of the property for educational without residential purposes, meaning dorms cannot be built on the space. So the school wants to maybe see if we can get some uh, academic buildings out there. I don't... mm, I would not want to have to commute to a class out there. Granted, I will never have to worry about that because my classes are already scheduled and one of them includes bowling. But if I was uh, coming into this school and I was being told, you know, some of your classes are going to be out near the track and the tennis courts and you have to commute out there by bus. It's going to take you about 25 minutes. I'd be like, "Eh, I'll try to schedule other classes. 
See, I, what I think they should do is put some like sports offices out there. I think that makes a lot more sense. Or just another big parking lot because we need that. You know. So they're trying to get uh, Boontown Council to rezone part of that spot. Uh, I wonder what the zoning is for that right now since it was a public high school. I wonder what the zone for that is. The project um, for these uh, educational without residential buildings are in the design phase. With C- are, uh, I guess this is actually for the whole project with the stadium and whatever included and the, uh, the tennis courts. They're working with CHA Consulting in Raleigh. And they say uh, this project will be completed in phases with the track taking priority. Probably because we don't have a track, so it kind of makes sense. In addition to the track, tennis facilities will include six indoor and six outdoor courts. And softball will include seating for 100 to 150 spectators. Very cool. Six indoor and six outdoor until new tennis courts are complete, App State's varsity tennis teams will continue to use the uh, the courts on River Street that you drive by probably all the time. The courts will resurface this fall and continue to serve their purpose for physical education classes, also known as PE classes, uh, in addition to university recreation in general. The App State track team will not host any meets in 2019. Because of the uh, the removal of basically one turn of the uh, Kid Brewer track due to construction. Yeah, like the only event you could do out there right now is like the 100 and 200 meter. Other developments for the old high school location have included um, student residence halls, a daycare facility, or student recreation fields. So that's, uh, that's stuff they're still throwing around. Residence Hall would not... I mean, the, the, the zoning that they've asked for does not include housing, but I mean, they just need to take residence halls off the table. That would be a disastrous. Uh, currently, the goal for completion of the new track is spring 2021. I don't know how it could possibly take so long, given that there's already a track there. Spring 2021. That's like the uh, that new bell thing that they have out uh, by 321 that you only take pictures near once and then you never go over there again that costs like $300,000 and it took them a long time too this makes me think you know I should just scrap college I should scrap radio and I should get into random construction projects for universities because they pay a lot and they uh give you massive timetables. I mean, you can just sit on a pile of cash and do nothing for a year, still get the project done. This is ridiculous. That said, I, I'm happy for the track people especially. Tennis is going to really enjoy it. I bet softball will too, but as someone who used to play some sports... There's nothing more satisfying than knowing that the field you play on is only for you. As a soccer player, I hated playing on a football field. As a person who runs track, I bet they uh, I bet they enjoy having their own facility as well. It's just better that way. It's just better that way. AMB News, when we come back, I'm Loopy. App State's godfather of talk radio. <laughs> 
There are many, many, what I call hipster breweries. Uh, and that's uh, out of respect and out of disrespect. Uh, I appreciate that these people create small businesses. And brewing is kind of cool. It's a, it's a very complicated science. That said... There are many hipster breweries that uh, try and stay hipster and then um, get forgotten. But one of them that's not going to get forgotten and really, in a sense, has just been immortalized is Appalachian Mountain Brewery. Now, if you remember, I actually talked about this. Uh, their first. Their first sale. They were independent. And they were located here. They got sold to Craft Brew Alliance uh, just a little over a year ago in October of 2018. And we thought, hmm, this might kind of be the end of them. You know, what if they're just being bought just to be kind of like moved away? Well, now they're being purchased again by a certain uh, Anheuser-Busch. So now a- a- Appalachian Mountain Brewery, AMB, is directly affiliated with Anheuser-Busch. Uh, if you haven't heard of that company, I can't even drink beer because it has gluten in it. And I know what Anheuser-Busch is. Uh, the Watauga Democrat reports uh, the National Beer Company plans to buy the remaining stock of Craft Brew Alliance which owns Appalachian Mountain Brewery. This was published on go, uh, GoBlueRidge.net by Bill Fisher. According to the report, Anheuser-Busch, which had owned 31% of the Craft Brewery Alliance stock, will purchase the remaining stock uh, with the sale to be finalized in 2020. CBA uh, spokesperson Jenny McLean said there are no changes planned for Appalachian Mountain Brewery or the uh, Craft Brewery Alliance as a result of the acquisition. Uh, There are no changes in Portland where CBA, the Craft Brewery Alliance, is located. No changes to the brand portfolio and no changes concerning the number of employees or employee benefits. And I bet if anything, because they're being bought by a massive company, uh, the – the benefits would only get better. Craft Brewer Alliance uh, would join Anheuser-Busch's Brewers Collective, a collection of craft beer partners across the country. The co-founder and uh, head brewer of Appalachian Mountain Brewery uh, said there are no plans for AMB to move from its original location at 163 Boone Creek Drive. So right now, I mean, the thought that just came to my mind was it almost sounds too good to be true for these people. They stay local. They stay at their same address. The co-founder is still the head brewer. Not only did they sell to uh, one uh, group, that group has just been sold to one of the biggest beer companies in the country. But everything stays the same. 
That almost sounds a little fishy, doesn't it? I don't know. We'll find out. But I think uh, if if nothing is going to change for that company, and uh, and Anheuser Busch didn't just buy them to put them away to get some competition out of the way, uh, I think that kind of immortalizes the company. We might see their stuff getting sold more and more places around the country instead of just being a regional thing. Who knows? It'd be kind of cool to see Appalachian Mountain Brewery in in other states. You know, in the Midwest and on the West Coast, be like, let's have an Appalachian brew. Mmm, feels like North Carolina. You know what else feels like North Carolina? Uh, at least uh, this part, the Appalachians, is this weather that we've had recently. It got cold real fast. And I I enjoy the cold personally. But after being up here for a summer, I always forget just how cold the cold is. And fall kind of just started, even though all the trees, you know, dropped their leaves. You know, we're still only a bit into fall. Come February, you know, we'll see if I still uh, feel like I like the cold or not. But one thing that comes with the cold, uh, the cold in this area, and really in every area, is the flu season. And we always, there's always news every year about the flu, whether it's, uh, they always say get your flu shot. And they, it seems like every year they're always like, this is going to be a bad flu year. There's never like a, this will be a good flu year, you know? You never hear news of, you know, we really think nobody's going to get the flu this year, you know? The flu's just taking a year off. You know, the flu is having some, you know, some problems, so it needs to just take a break. We never hear that. We always hear, the flu is going to kill everybody. That's what it seems like every year. But uh, here's another way of looking at the flu season, the dreaded flu season. A lot of places you'll pass by, like a CVS or a Walgreens or uh, whatever, or even at App State, uh, and they'll say, you know, you can get a free flu shot. But then the question comes, I mean, if you have a brain, you understand it's not free. Somebody's paying for it. So the the question comes, you know, how much does it actually cost? You know, the company that's selling it, what are they charging for it? You know, I'm not necessarily paying for it right now, but, you know, what money's being made? Uh, It's ridiculous. It's insane. I'm Loopy. I'm looping. So you, you, you see it everywhere, especially this time of year now. You know, like the, uh, come in, get your free, free, free flu shot. However you're supposed to say that. Free flu shot. And then there are people like me who look at that and they're like, Neh. I don't care if it's free. I don't want them. But, uh, you know, all these places have free flu shots, especially with most insurance. Uh, It is of no cost to you to get the flu shot. Even then, I I know so many people where they're like, the only year I get the flu is when I get the flu shot. And then every year the world is like, this is a bad, this is going to be a bad flu year, Um, you know, run for cover. Uh, there's never, it seems like there's never an announcement of expecting a good flu year. 
And then it seems like every few, every few years, I mean, everything's a tongue twister today. Seems like every few years, they're like, uh, yeah, we guessed wrong about the flu uh, vaccination. You know, it doesn't really work. But ultimately, the people who make the, uh, the flu uh, vaccination don't really probably care if it works or not. Uh, they care about if you get your free flu shot. Because if you don't get your free flu shot, uh, they're not making their outrageous money. Even if you pay for a flu shot, they're not making as much money as, in, as, uh, as opposed to getting a free flu shot. Here's uh, I'll explain this a little bit from Ars Technica, published today. It says the annual flu shots that are free to those with health insurance are not immune from the convoluted and contemptible price gouging that plagued the U.S. healthcare system. Health insurance companies pay wildly different amounts for the same vaccines depending on how negotiations go with individual medical providers across the country. So it's free, quote-unquote, to you, even though you're paying for medical insurance, so it's not you're, – you're paying for it. But, uh, you know, it's free to you, but your um, medical insurance can pay widely different amounts purely based off how they negotiated. So health insurance companies pay widely different amounts for the same vaccines uh, depending on negotiations. In some cases, providers have forced insurers to pay upward of three times the price they would pay to other providers, according to an investigation by Kaiser Health News. The outlet noted that one Sacramento, California doctor's office got an insurer to pay $85 for a flu shot. So not the person who's a free flu shot for them, but their insurer paid $85 for a flu shot that this doctor's office offered to other patients, uninsured patients, for $25. So when you get your free flu shot, the people who make the vaccinations are jumping with joy because they can get 85 bucks as opposed to 25 if you paid out of pocket. That makes sense. Though $85 might uh, seem like a trifling amount in the bloated scheme of the U.S. healthcare system, such prices quickly add up as tens of millions of people receive a flu shot each year. Yeah, so you can multiply 85 by tens of millions, you know, as opposed to 25 by tens of millions. And while the Affordable Care Act requires insurers to cover the full costs of all federally recommended vaccines, including the flu vaccine, any extra costs to insurers get passed on to patients through their higher insurance premiums. Basic economics. Thank you, Obama. See, I feel like politicians, instead instead of um, making it seem like they're being nice to us, they should explain to us why they're not going to see why they're not going to do what seems nice. They should explain to us the money behind um, free health care doesn't work because it's not free. 
instead of 25 bucks, we're paying 85 Because in order for the insurance company to stay alive paying that 85 as opposed to 25 they have to charge you more, you know, because money. So instead of you paying 25 for a flu shot, you know, your company that represents you is paying 85 then is just billing you the coming year. Healthcare for everybody. So when you go get your free flu shot, uh, before you get the flu uh, this coming winter, you can uh, you can sit you can sit around and and, and think about uh, you know how free it is. You know this is what freedom feels like. I'll tell you what freedom feels like. Taco Bell is launching a new item. We're going to talk about it here right around the corner. I'm not supposed to say that, but, uh, you know, uh, Radio Taboo stuff. I'm announcing it and saying right around the corner. Taco Bell is launching chicken tenders. Holy cow. Breaking news. But somehow, stuff like this does break news. Like the Popeye sandwich, that broke news. Broke the internet. Taco Bell. When we come back, I'm going to talk about how weird it sounds. I'm Loopy. I'm Loopy. The, uh, I love food. I actually I did a uh, report today in a class um, about a futurist, is what they call him. The man is an internet and technology futurist. And basically, from what I found on the internet um, researching this dude, uh, is that not only is he an internet Futurist. He is a food presentist. The man has more published about his experiences with food than he does about the future of the world with the internet and all this. Yet he is widely regarded as a leading internet futurist. Welcome to university. So basically, I talked about for uh, a good bit of my project just uh, about how this guy's obsessed with food. And uh, apparently it was comical enough uh, to where people enjoyed it. You know, you always you always do well uh, with a presentation uh, in a class, you know, where everyone has to do their own presentation. Where at the end of the day, the teacher goes up to you and says, good job. But the teacher doesn't do that for anybody else. You know you did something at least somewhat comical and memorable. So yeah, so everyone else was like, you know, robots are going to do whatever in 20 years and AI is going to do whatever in 20 years. And up there, and I'm like, this dude likes spicy food. He likes sour food. This dude likes chips, different flavors of chips. You know, you talk to him about putting uh, grains in chips and he's got ideas for you. Oh yeah, and by the way, he likes the internet too, so... You know, so this this works for my presentation. But senioritis, though, 
It's a pretty real thing. Until you get to the point where you're like, you know, if I want to stop being a senior, I need to get past my senioritis. You know? I got to actually do something. Like write a 10-page paper. In order to do talk radio, it makes a lot of sense. And for the the people graduating in December, I mean, that's exciting. I don't know when your graduation is. Uh, I can't find it. Well, I mean, I, I could if I tried, but it's not posted anywhere obvious. So, congratulations. Merry Christmas from Lupi himself. You are graduating. You can thank me later. But yeah, food, Taco Bell, you know, uh, they have taco in their name. So you're assuming more Hispanic food-ish, maybe. Uh, They're launching chicken tenders in a uh, move to compete with Chick-fil-A. Taco Bell, trying to compete with Chick-fil-A. It doesn't make much sense, but they're going for it. This is from Business Insider. So, I mean, this is actually like, this is legitimately a big deal within the industry uh, that I know we're all very much apart as consumers. Taco Bell, Aaron McDowell wrote this. Taco Bell has a new menu item that puts it in competition with chicken chains like Chick-fil-A and Popeyes. Taco Bell. Taco Bell said it would uh, begin testing its new crispy tortilla chicken tenders. That's where they get the, uh, you know, that's where they get an excuse to have on the menu. They put tortilla in there, even though it really has nothing to do with it. Crispy tortilla chicken tenders. They're testing it out in Houston, Texas and Dayton, Ohio, two very similar places. On Thursday before launching the menu uh, item nationally next year. So tomorrow uh, you can take off class. Uh, you can get off work. Uh, you can get off your butt and get yourself to Houston, Texas, or Dayton, Ohio, your pick, and try and go to a Taco Bell and try out some new crispy tortilla chicken tenders. Write to me, uh, 920 River Street, sign it, uh, I ate some chicken for Loopy Radio. I had to talk about this on my show because in my mind, this makes literally no sense. None. Not one penny. From the Wayne Sumner Studio. How do you think when it says there's a 60% chance of rain? Because usually when there's like a 60% chance of rain, it rains some. Which would mean if it's raining, it's a 100% chance of rain. But it's really a 60% chance of rain. So what is it really talking about when it says 60%? Like if it's 90%, you expect it to rain. But it's 90%. That's not 100%. But we all we all know it's going to rain when it's a 90% chance of rain. So that's 90% as opposed to 100% of what if it's going to rain? I don't know. Broadcasting live in Boone, North Carolina. If, if the average of the Earth is going up by 3 degrees... And Charlotte, North Carolina's average has gone up by like 10, apparently. That means somewhere else is going down 7. This is Loopy Radio, Hour 2. I'm Loopy. 
Some serious news coming out of the world this week out of Boone. They finally figured out what to do with the old high school. Yay. Appalachian Mountain Brewery has been sold again to Anheuser-Busch, so they're going national, possibly. Uh, We'll find out in the future. Taco Bell. Taco Bell is making chicken tenders, and they put the word tortilla in their name, so that kind of kind of makes sense with their menu, but no. Uh, they're trying to test that out in Dayton, Ohio. So get your butt up to Dayton tomorrow to test out some chicken tenders. But uh, the, the big headline for today, they're finally, it looks like, figured out. This is uh, from the Appalachian, so you can read about it, at least online, if not in the, in the print. Um... They, uh, App State finally figured out what to do with the old Watauga High School property. Uh, so, obviously, the high school used to be there. But importantly, right next to the high school building, which no longer exists because we don't need it, because they didn't need it, um, is the football stadium that had a track around it and a baseball field and a softball field. So uh, they finally decided what really was, I think, the smartest option for the property, and that's to not put dorms there. Uh, At this point, they've decided to not put academic buildings there. Uh, Unfortunately, they've decided not to put a massive parking deck there at this point. But what they have done, I think, is smart. Uh, They are going to place... The brand new home of the track and field team, the brand new indoor and outfield and outdoor uh, home of the tennis team, and a brand new stadium. And by stadium, I mean it has a hundred to one hundred and fifty seats uh, for the softball. Because this is it's close to campus, close enough to say yes, this is definitely Appalachian State University, but it's not close enough to. To say it's on campus. It's just not. Even though it might be geographically close-ish. The traffic to get between here and there is constantly outrageous. It just, it wouldn't work. You can't commute to a class out there and make it on time. I mean, you'll be, if you're over here near Walker Hall and you have a class over there at the old high school in an hour... And you're trying to take the bus, you probably won't get there. It just it wouldn't work. So I think this is the right way to go. Put some uh, sports complexes there, uh, destinations that you would choose to go to if you wanted to attend one of these events, or if you were performing in uh, not performing, sorry, that's the old theater guy in me uh, playing in it. The 74 acre property that used to be the home of the uh, Watauga High School. Only until just a few years ago, really, uh, off Highway 105 near the Goodwill and the uh, Freemasons, which is a secret organization. Uh, they purchased that 74-acre property for $15.5 million, which is a lot, a lot of money. But uh, long term, I mean, if you hold it for a long time, it'll be worth it, I guess. Uh It'll host softball competition tennis um, as opposed to just P.E. tennis and uh, the track and field. The university also requested Boone Town Council and the Boone Planning Commission 
to rezone another part of the property for educational without residential purposes. So not dorms, but uh, they're seeing if they can have the potential to put some uh, educational buildings there, which I do not think is a good idea. Nobody's going to want to commute there. Nobody. I think they should either put a massive freaking parking deck with a constant shuttle service or uh, for students and faculty. A, to increase the amount of parking that can be sold to students who need it and B, to lower the cost potentially per parking spot uh, across the board for App State. The faculty need it too. It's not just the students. Uh, or if they don't do that, I feel like they need to put like sports offices or training facilities for student athletes. Because this isn't part of campus, but if you're on one of these teams, you know, you're, you're a different kind of student and you need these facilities, but it can get away with, uh, we can get away with having it slightly off campus. I feel like. I feel like they've they've done a good idea. They've uh, they've done of this is a good idea for that property. You know what I think is a bad idea? We're gonna talk about it when I come back. I'm Loopy. Search Loopy Radio on Spotify. I'm Loopy. So Taco Bell, this is the this is the big thing everyone's been waiting for. I know, both uh, both for this item and for me to talk about it. Taco Bell, this is from Business Insider. So I mean, this is making Business Insider. This is for like people who are investing this information. This is this is the an article written by a company. It was written today. This company. Business Insider writes articles to inform you, to help you know what to invest in. And they're writing about Taco Bell launching chicken tenders in a move to compete with Popeyes and Chick-fil-A. This came out in the news today. Taco Bell said it would begin testing its new crispy tortilla chicken tenders in Houston, Texas and Dayton, Ohio tomorrow before launching the menu item uh, nationally next year. Uh, They're not really actually that expensive. Taco Bell said it tested more than 100 versions of the chicken tenders before deciding on the final recipe. I'm surprised, but not surprised at the same time. I mean, surprised, but not surprised. A hundred different versions of these chicken tenders uh, have been tested by Taco Bell. Uh, if you want to see what their test facility looks like, there's a really good segment Conan O'Brien did a few years ago where he and one of his uh, co-workers uh, went to the headquarters of Taco Bell. Good video. The new chicken tenders are marinated in jalapeno buttermilk mixture. Interesting. Uh, giving them a slightly spicy kick, hence the uh, jalapeno. They're coated in tortilla chip crumbs and served with a new sauce. I guess they had to throw the tortilla chip 
in there somewhere or else it really wouldn't make sense. As if chicken tenders from from Taco Bell don't make sense enough. They were like, you know, we've got to do something to make them feel like this isn't being forced. Tortilla chick crumbs uh, served with a new sauce. When Business Insider's Kate Taylor recently tried the new menu item uh, at Taco Bell's headquarters, she remarked that the sauce's flavor profile was somewhat similar to sauces at Chick-fil-A or Raising Cane's. So that's what they're going for. I like how um, the quote they have from this woman wasn't about the chicken tenders. It was about the sauce. Anyone can make a sauce. Many fast food chains are trying to find innovative ways to serve up chicken, this article from Business Insider says. Uh, Whether it's between uh, two Popeye's buns dunked in Chick-fil-A sauce or dripping in Nashville hot oil. Taco Bell is no exception. The, uh, The fast food market is bullish on chicken. Raising Cane's new system. Why Raising Cane's isn't really around here, but they serve chicken. Uh, Raising Cane's saw a system-wide sales growth of 22.5%. And obviously people love Chick-fil-A, so other companies are like, well, I guess it's the chicken thing. Chick-fil-A uh, is actually uh, America. – they're uh, currently America's favorite fast food chain. Uh, we'll see if that changes with uh, news that came out recently. They've been in the news a bit this week. But Business Insider did a survey, and they found Chick-fil-A actually is the most popular uh, or the most liked. However, Popeye's made more waves than any other chicken chain in 2019 with its new chicken sandwich that I talked about a few weeks ago which dominated the scene since uh, relaunching after initially selling out. Now, I remember when uh, when they started selling out of that, some quote from an official from them was like, we, uh, you know, ambitiously stocked all of our restaurants, you know, uh, to the point where we thought it was way too much. But we still sold out of it anyway. I mean, that's how successful it was. And I feel like... Uh, that sandwich might be one of the first really obvious examples in the in the food industry of a, of an item that's just completely influenced by the internet. Like that's the reason why it got so popular. Well, a apparently it's good, but uh, B it it took the internet by storm, and I feel like that has to be a huge part of why it became so popular. It just it just got so much buzz. Whether good or bad or funny. Plenty of Photoshop, plenty of Reddit, plenty of tweets, plenty of goofy pictures, plenty of fights in the restaurant to get one. Like people are desperate for this thing. But yeah, this uh, this thing from Taco Bell, a uh, jalapeno buttermilk mixture coated in tortilla chip crumbs. Makes me wonder if it's gluten free. If they're corn tortilla chips. I think I think that's probably just a marketing thing where they say it's tortilla chip crumbs, even though it's just, you know, normal bread crumbs like you normally fry uh, chicken tenders with. Taco Bell chicken tenders. Again, 
never uh, when I pitched this show originally, never would I say, you know, um, at one point I'll do a segment on Taco Bell chicken tenders. The world of talk radio throws surprises at you all the time. I got some uh, something else from the food industry. Burger King's doing something. Uh, or more like it's not. I'm loopy. I'm loopy. So not only is Taco Bell making some headlines, I guess... A headline. They made this weird show. Burger King is running out of zesty sauce. Crisis. Burger King is running out of zesty sauce. Um, I remember when I was younger, I ate at Burger King some. I remember as a little kid eating there because they had a good play place. I mean, that's really the most important qualification when you're under the age of 10. It's, uh, you know, if they have a good play place. And the one that I know of near Charlotte, in Charlotte, near where I grew up, had a double-decker play place. Uh, It was big. Like, by double-decker, I mean it was two floors. It was two stories tall. It was 20 feet tall. It was sweet. So, um... Yeah, I probably didn't care about the food, and my mom was probably like, "Okay, well, you know, whatever, whatever makes you guys excited and gets all your energy out before the end of the day, uh, I'll go there." Burger King is running out of zesty sauce because, as we all should know, of the uh, the global horseradish shortage. The world is in a crisis. This is out of CNN business, so, you know, big news. Uh, bad news, it says, for spicy fast food chains. Burger King's a spicy fast food chain? It says a burger, a popular Burger King sauce is in short supply because of the ripple effect of a global horseradish shortage. Go anywhere in the world right now and ask for horseradish, and they're going to be like, we don't got any. Burger King confirmed Wednesday... That it's horseradish-based zesty onion sauce uh, might not be available to some customers. And it's not because they don't like you. We're, uh, we are working quickly, Burger King uh, said in a statement. They said, we are working quickly with our suppliers to maintain continuity and keep offering our guests the zesty experience they love. That is the most corporate-sounding statement I've ever heard in my life that includes the word zesty. Congratulations. The, uh, this whole issue actually uh, stems from America. It says the shortage stems from severe weather in the Midwest that hurts Silver Spring Foods farms and, uh, and their supplier ability to produce horseradish. So... America. The Wisconsin-based company is the world's largest horseradish producer. 
Is horseradish going to start becoming like a currency now because it's going to be so rare, so difficult to find? You know, we're going to have like a Mad Max type situation, you know. People are going to start going crazy for this horseradish. The company's president said that uh, this year's weather was damaging, was a damaging double whammy for horseradish growers. He said, while we've planted more horseradish than ever before, we've been unable to harvest it all on time due to a huge snow melt, a wet fall, and an early frost. And we are hearing the same from other horseradish farmers in the U.S., Canada, and Europe. Interesting. Restaurant Services, a uh, Burger King supplier. What a generic name, Restaurant Services. And they, uh, they service restaurants. They're a Burger King supplier. They warned that this is the uh, current stock of zesty onion uh, dip cups is expected to dwindle to a potential full outage by early next year. Full outage, full crisis. The company said it's working with alternative supply solutions until next year's horseradish harvest in April. Honestly, I make it sound a little goofy. I am very sarcastic about this, but I mean, picture being the person for Burger King in charge of the zesty onion sauce. You're like, this is my job. And I happen to be working with the sauce that has an ingredient, a main ingredient that is in a global shortage. Why me? And why something, why a shortage to something that has the name zesty onion sauce? The world is going to have a shortage of zesty. Mm. It's important. Arby's makes a similar tasting and popular horseradish-based dip called horsey sauce. A company spokesperson said it's, quote, working closely with our partners to ensure supply with no disruptions. Now, here we go. The battle between the horseradish supply for zesty onion dip and horsey sauce. This, This will be national news in a month or two. Absolutely. It's funny, though, because, you know, I'm, the, the Internet class that I referenced earlier where I, where I talked about a guy who's obsessed with food, um, everything they say in that class about technology is very absolute, like what I just said, very absolute, everything. Um, but they'll, they'll have statements in these videos and in these books and these articles saying, like, technology has completely changed the food landscape where technology has kept food crises from happening in first world countries what did what what good has technology done for horseradish sauce horseradish and zesty sauce and horsey sauce seems like the internet has forgotten the horseradish You know, we have all these things out there in the world right now that says uh, technology has fixed the world, uh, that it's changed everything. It's changed a whole lot of things for sure. The only reason why I might have a career is because of technology. But then things like this come up where quite literally this food will not be available in a few months until the next harvest. What is this, 1650? Because of weather. 
because of a snow melt and an early frost. I mean, this sounds, you know, has this happened in a long time? R.I.P. Zesty Onion Dip and Horsey Sauce. This show is for you. It's kind of sad for me because I have food allergies and restrictions. You know, I'll talk about this stuff in a goofy way or whatever, and it makes me want to eat it. Uh, and then I can't. It's sad. Very sad. You know what else is very sad? I'm making this all sound very depressing. Uh, Ford just released a brand new thing in order to be eco-friendly to save the world, to save the horseradish, to save the horsey sauce, and the zesty onion dip. Ford has unleashed a new car. Mercedes has unleashed a new car. Karma has unleashed a new car that they will never make. Uh, and they will see a company that you've never heard of. Rivian is about to start making a car. All of these things are electric. And they're going to save the world by destroying China and making us spend less money on gas. We are going to save the world. And Ford's grand attempt to get into the electric car market... Makes me want to barf. I'm Loopy. I'm Loopy. So somehow, over like the past decade, the world has gotten it into its system, especially America, that electric cars are going to save the world. And once they got this thought, all of a sudden we were like, where are the electric cars then? Well, why isn't anybody making them? And then uh, Elon Musk was like, you're right. I will build the Tesla Roadster. And we're like, why'd you make a Roadster? Why didn't you make a uh, like a four-door car that the average person can buy? And he's like, because it's crazy expensive. So I need to make a sports car that people with money will want to buy because it's fun, not because it's useful. So we had the Tesla Roadster. And then finally, Elon Musk found out how to make it cheap enough to build a four-door car that is still quite expensive, but not outrageously expensive. And then he builds more expensive cars because he can, because it's more fun. And then now, finally, there's a car coming out that's going to be somewhat affordable. And when that car comes out, magically, every other car company all of a sudden comes out with another car. Well, there's some reasoning behind why, once it becomes affordable, everyone jumps on board. And that's because until now, nobody had the resources or was willing to build so many batteries. They were so expensive. They still are so expensive. And they're so terrible for the world to create. So terrible. There's a reason why these batteries aren't made in this country. And that's because we have outlawed it. You can't make them in this country. So in order to save the world, because gas cars are completely destroying the world, 
even though cows produce more CO2 than cars globally. Uh, since cars apparently are the ones destroying the world, not cows, um, I, don't, I just think people aren't willing to admit that cows are worse for the world than cars. People just aren't willing to admit that. So since it's the CO2 coming out of cars, that's bad. You know, that's all that's bad is the CO2. It's not creating the car that's bad. It's not the materials we use to build the car that's bad. It's the CO2 that comes out, right? So we're going to keep making cars. Not only are we going to keep making them, we're going to make them bigger. We're going to make them taller, which makes them less fuel efficient, increases drag, requires more power, which uses more energy. Not only are we going to do all that, we're going to switch to electric because it won't produce any CO2 when you drive. Now, here's the deal. Electric cars uh, require batteries. And even though the electric motor itself uh, produces very little heat, which is a loss of energy, very little noise, which is a loss of energy compared to a, a, a gas car, um, it requires uh, electricity to be stored in batteries. Which kill the planet. Destroy the planet. Okay? So we're helping our atmosphere, I guess. Maybe. Uh, we're just going to destroy the ground instead. So, you know, give and take, I guess. So, all of a sudden, we get to the point where battery production is being done enough... That it's cheap enough for other companies to jump on board. Mercedes just uh, debuted its new car. And it looks absolutely fabulous. Uh, it is expensive because it is a Mercedes. And it's probably going to be better than most of these cars. Because it's a Mercedes. Uh, the 2021 Ford Mustang Mach-E has been revealed. Uh, I'll, I'll uh, say some facts on it before I uh, give you my spiel. Uh, this was uh, published a few days ago by Motor Trend. The Mach-E. Meet the newest member of the Mustang family, the Ford Mustang Mach-E, a Mustang-badged electric vehicle and SUV. So it's Mustang electric SUV because we're saving the world by going electric. So we're going to build an SUV that's like twice as big, that uses twice as much materials to make and uh, has more drag, which requires more energy to move because we're saving the planet. Ford's leveraged the brand's great strengths, this article says, namely the fact that almost every person on Earth likes the Mustang. Not only that. But performance car lovers also much better educated about battery electric vehicles, BEVs, than the average car buyer. So that Ford thought that if they're going to sell an electric car, at first it needs to be to somebody who actually appreciates electric cars. And that's people who like performance cars. But here's the thing. There is no such thing as a performance SUV. 
can make an SUV with power and with, you know, a special trim that says sport on it. But by definition, an SUV cannot be sporty. It just can't. The rant shall continue. College Talk Radio. Loopy without banned substances. Um, Loopy. This is from Motor Trend staff. A few days ago, it says, Meet the newest member of the Mustang family, as in Ford Mustang. And it's called the Ford Mustang Mach-E. And that's a play on um, Mustang names from the 70s. It is a Mustang-badged electric vehicle, and it's an SUV. So it's everything Mustang is not, except uh, with a Mustang logo on it. Uh, Ford leveraged the brand's great strengths that everyone uh, knows what the Mustang is, is what this article says. But they know, Ford knows, that uh, the only people who really appreciate electric cars right now are uh, driving enthusiasts. So that's why they put uh, pieces of Ford Mustang regalia on it. And they call them battery electric vehicles, BEVs, B-E-Vs, because hydrogen is a thing, and that's the actual future. And people are starting to admit it now. Yay, future. Batteries are terrible. Uh, BEVs is what this is. One of the hurdles to a, a BEV adoption, this article says, is the per, uh, persistent myths about cars powered by batteries. Here are a few stats that uh, Ford shared with uh, the uh, author here. 92% of new car buyers think electric cars are toy-like. They think of electric cars as toys. 92% of new car buyers. 75% wouldn't drive a BEV in extreme weather. People don't feel like uh, battery cars are uh, safe in extreme weather. 51% suffer from range anxiety. Uh, okay. Uh, and thanks to success of the Toyota Prius, 42% think the BEV requires gasoline. If you think a Toyota Prius, Prius, is an electric car, um, oh dear, 42% of people think that battery electric cars require gasoline. That just makes no sense, but hey, 42% of people. The result... Of all of Ford's grand knowledge and wisdom is what they call an aggressive-looking, spacious, five-passenger electric SUV. Okay. Here is the loopy critique without me going to jail. From the side, it looks like a Nissan Juke. Uh, yeah. Uh, from the back, it's hideous. Uh, and from the front, they clearly ripped off Tesla and Hyundai. And it's got a Mustang badge on it, which makes absolutely no sense. And it's an SUV with Mustang badges. So basically, they're completely ruining the brand of the Mustang. 
They are ripping off Tesla 100% with the front design of this car. They're ripping off Hyundai's front lights. They're ripping off Nissan's side uh, looks from the side, which isn't a good thing to rip off. Uh, and then the back is absolutely hideous, and it makes me want to turn around and puke. Is that is that good? Here's a thing on the interior. I have a picture of it in front of me here. Uh, the article says, Inside, Ford smartly uses uh, no-animals-harmed interior. For all the people who are concerned. Um, yeah. Basically, uh, on the inside, it's just a generic-looking interior that apparently doesn't harm animals. Um, they rip off the Tesla center console of just a big screen, and they rip off the Mercedes dashboard. There's not much original uh, to this car. Even the hideous stuff on the back is Mustang-ish, but it's hideous. Like, the only original part to this car is just disgusting. Uh, What's interesting about this car, though, this is pretty much the future. Your phone is the key to the car. This is interesting. There is a key, but, uh, you know, just in case your phone is dead, but it's functionally limited in order to encourage you to use your phone as the key. And uh, what if you don't have a phone? Well, you can use the keypad on the side to enter the car and a second keypad to start the car. I guess the idea is have two different PIN numbers. They do say, though, that this car is branded um, towards uh, people who like performance. The 2021 Mustang Mach-E will initially be available in three flavors, uh, three different specs. Uh, one is a pure rear-wheel drive with a single motor. You can also get an all-wheel drive with two motors, and you can get a performance one, a GT model, with three motors for four wheels. Think through that in your head. It's actually not that complicated. Uh, Ford claims that just the base model rear-wheel drive will be as quick as a Porsche Macan, which uh, is a pretty big claim because Porsche makes a pretty quick car, uh, and the Macan is the similar to this. So Ford's claiming it's as quick, probably in straight line speed, as a Porsche. I bet once you get to a corner, it's different. The funny thing, though, is that Ford claims, this article writes, Ford claims that the uh, this Mustang's as quick as a Porsche Macan, but they didn't specify which Macan, and they're just guessing they're talking about the base model. A no animals harmed interior? You gotta be kidding me, though. I'm Loopy. So it's a sports SUV electric Mustang. And it's hideous. I never wanna see it. I never do. And chances are. You know, every company right now is coming out with an electric car. Every company is, basically. Even Lamborghini is making a hybrid. They're the last people anyone ever thought would do that. This car's hideous, and it's probably going to be expensive. But uh, here's the big thing with electric cars. Uh, what was one of those stats from earlier? 51% of people who 
consider buying an electric car, suffer from what they call range anxiety. Also known as they feel like the car won't be able to drive far enough before you have to sit for an hour to refuel it. Which I understand. Basically, just don't take it on a long trip. So what about the range? This is the big question. This is from Motor Trend. It says two battery packs will be available. The small pack will provide about 225 miles of range. So about the same as my Toyota Corolla. The big pack, more than 300 miles. Which still actually isn't remarkable. They are way away away from having EPA certification, though, so who knows. The sm- Here's the big thing, right? So these electric cars are going to save the world because no CO2, right? The batteries are terrible. You have to replace batteries every five to seven years. You have to consistently use batteries or they lose performance, and you'd have to replace them sooner. And by replace, we mean not recycle. You can't do that. New ones. Here's another thing. The small battery pack, the 225-mile range battery pack, weighs over 1,000 pounds. The larger battery weighs 200 pounds more. Ford hasn't specified this, probably because they don't want to. You can expect this Ford Mustang Mach-E, which is an SUV but isn't actually a very big SUV, you can expect it to weigh in at more than 5,000 pounds. Now imagine the weight of a full-size electric truck or a full-size electric SUV, a real SUV. This weighs in at 5,000 pounds. I mean, if you want to drive something that doesn't uh, pollute the world much, drive something light. Something that doesn't take much energy to move. And trust me, if you like performance vehicles, you don't want something that weighs 5,000 pounds. So another question as to why they're even trying to market this to performance enthusiasts. As for charging times to charge the batteries, Ford claims the batteries will um, fast charge to 80% from zero in 45 minutes. So you go from dead to 80% in 45 minutes. So, you know, that's that's a good fun time at a gas station. The team was quick. The uh, Ford team was quick to remind the people who wrote this article, it says, that uh, 80% of electric vehicle charging happens overnight at home, which is true. But it does point out that uh, you can't take a trip in this sort of a car. You can't. If it's longer than 225 miles or 300 miles, depending on which battery pack you have, I mean, you're adding another hour of travel time to go somewhere. Another hour. You know, so driving to Ohio, like my family's done a lot, it wouldn't take eight hours. It would take nine hours. That adds up. I mean, you wouldn't be able to drive from Boone to Charlotte and back without recharging for an hour. We're not there yet. We're just not there yet. Thanksgiving's next week, so I might not be back. We'll find out. I'm Loopy.